I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Years ago, I invited renowned spiritual teacher Carolyn Mace to be a guest on The Oprah Winfrey Show. I'd just been introduced to Carolyn's groundbreaking work on healing and intuition, and I was so excited about what I'd learned that I couldn't wait to share it with the audience. I hoped they might experience the same spiritual awakening. Unfortunately, that is not what happened. For the first few minutes, Carolyn and I were totally engrossed in our conversation about spirituality and nurturing the soul. But eventually, we reached a point where I noticed that the people in the audience were looking at us like we were speaking a foreign language. I stopped the taping and asked if they understood what Carolyn and I were talking about. One woman bravely stood up and said, No, Oprah, we really don't. What do you mean by spirit? Are you talking about Jesus? No, I said. We're talking about you. The woman went on to say that she thought the word spirit meant something outside of herself, similar to how she viewed religion. This was an epiphany for me. I realized concepts like spirituality and the soul were unfamiliar ones for many people at that time. We have come a long way since then, but I'm forever grateful to that woman for speaking up. It is a wonderful reminder that every single person is at a different stage of their own spiritual evolution, and no path is the same. We eventually resumed taping, and I asked Carolyn to explain her definition of the word spirit. And now, years later, in most Super Soul Sunday conversations— I asked that same question. What does spirituality mean to you? The message running through the lesson in this chapter is that each one of us has been blessed with an individual spiritual essence. As you begin to establish a deeper connection to that innate presence within you, certain passages from the Wisdom of Sundays might feel like a direct spark to your heart, a big lightning bolt, or a little shiver that shouts, yes. I know this because I experienced it too. When something clicks so profoundly, it feels like a light bulb illuminating the truth. As these great spiritual teachers taught me, this is your awakening. It's resonating because it's spirit recognizing spirit. That is the ultimate aha moment. We start with Carolyn Mays. The way to understand your spirit is that it's the part of you that is seeking meaning and purpose. That's one way someone can relate to that. Another way to understand spirit is that it's the part of you that is drawn to hope. That's one way to understand spirit. The part of you that that is drawn drawn to to hope. hope. Everyone can relate to that. 
Right. The part of your spirit that is simply drawn to hope, that will not give in to despair. Uh -huh. The part of you that has to believe in goodness. Yeah. That yeah. has to believe in something more. It's the light of you. It's the light of you. Yeah. Next up, Gary Zukov. I'm talking about an expansion of your perception beyond the five senses, mm -hmm. beyond what you can see and taste and touch and hear and smell. As people become multisensory, they begin to become aware and millions of us are acquiring that sense, that sense that life has a meaning, that I have a purpose, that I am more than this mind and body, I'm more than molecules and dendrites and neurons and enzymes. I have a part of me that is immortal. Now the question becomes, what now? What now? What now? All Becoming, right, Gary, what now? <laughs> now that we know that, what now? That is for each of us to decide. Multisensory perception does not make us more kind or patient or caring or less angry. It makes us more aware. Mm. And when you get that sense, the spiritual work begins. That was great. Now let's hear from Eckhart Tolle. The real truth of life are never entirely new to you or to anybody because there is a level deep down within you where you already know all the things, all those spiritual truths that you read or hear and then recognize them. I say recognize because you're not, it's not new, ultimately, it's not new information. Your very soul. It's a resonation. Yes. It's a resonation. It's a resonating with what is somehow buried or suppressed. Yes. Your consciousness recognizing the consciousness of whatever that message is. Yes. That's great. And that's an awakening. That's an and, awakening. And yeah. it, it also, it awakens that faculty in you. Mm -hmm. There's a glimpse of recognition. Then that, that knowing in you awakens and then it grows. It comes to the surface more. And the more it grows, the more open you are to hearing spiritual truths and then you begin to live it in your life. Such a good lesson and reminder. Next is Sue Monk Kidd. We have this immense interior life inside of us. We could call it the life of the soul. I think poets and mystics and people have been trying to figure out what to call this for a long time. But there is an inner silence in it. And there is an incredible mystery floating in it. Mm -hmm. And I was lured by that. Mm -hmm. And I have been on this journey ever since because I think this is where the divine lives in us. Mm -hmm. Deepak Chopra. I want to give you just a very brief and very quick understanding of these different areas of our life that we call the body, the mind, the soul, and the spirit. Your body is mostly carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. There are at least a million atoms in your body. Think of anyone. You have stardust that was once circulating in that body. In just the last three weeks, a quadrillion atoms have gone through your body that have gone through the body of every other living species on this planet. We know where the mind is. We experience it as our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our ideas. We experience our body as this three-dimensional structure in space and time. But where is the soul? And today, from a strictly scientific point of view, 
scientists have begun to talk about the place between thoughts. So between every thought, we have a little space. Right now, as you're listening to me, try this. Turn your attention to who's listening. Be aware of the listener. And that still presence that you feel, that's your soul. It was there when you were a baby, was there when you were a teenager, it's there now, it'll be there tomorrow. And if you get really in touch with it, if you become familiar with this center of awareness that you really are, you will see it's your ticket to freedom. Jack Cornfield. To live an awakened life is to be here in the reality of the present, in the now, which is all we have. Yes. And to recognize that thoughts about the future are thoughts. You can use them, but you don't have to believe them because half the time they don't come true. Yeah. And thoughts about the past are gone. The past you can learn from. But to be awake is to live here so that when you are with the person you love, you're really present, or with your dog, or with the work that you're devoting yourself to, or your creative life, or whether you listen to your heart and realize that you can be caught in fear and confusion. The poet Hafiz says, fear is the cheapest room in the house. I'd like to see you in better living conditions. Mm, I love that. So to live away is to sense that the fear or contraction or confusion that we have is not the end of the story, that we have a capacity for freedom and dignity no matter what. With all that you know, what is it you would most want to offer about beginning to live a more awakened life starting today? The first would be to say that it's worth it to stop and quiet yourself. Do whatever you need if it's getting up earlier in the morning or staying up a little bit later or, or building in that walk or even waiting a few seconds and taking a breath before you press the send button on the email or the tweet and quieting yourself and saying, what's my best intention? Because if you listen to your heart and ask, what's my best intention, it will answer. There's a kind of conversation you can have if you quiet yourself. So the first thing is to look for moments in the day and times that you can build in to come back with respect and listening to yourself. Okay. That people find their way to quiet themselves, that find their own art just as they learn how to cook just as they learn how to drive, they can learn an inner art and find a practice that works for them. The second wish is compassion and forgiveness. Mm, It comes up all the time. You can't live without it. Without forgiveness, the world is lost. It's like those two prisoners of war that met years later and one said to the other, you know, have you forgiven your captors yet? And the second one said, no, I never will. And then he said, well, then they still have you in prison, don't they? So there's some way in which, as we talked about, you can free yourself from the past through forgiveness. And it means forgiveness for yourself, for all the foolishness and ways that you've been caught that you didn't know. And people do it in ways that they don't even know, in myriads of ways. And the beautiful truth is that you can let go. You can. It is possible for you to let go. And there's a very simple practice of forgiveness, of looking into the heart in which you 
hold yourself with forgiveness and you repeat it over and over in these very, very simple ways. And at first it doesn't feel like it works at all. It's sort of like water on a stone. I'll never forgive that person. I'll never forgive myself. And then at some point you realize they could be on vacation in the Bahamas right now, having a great time. And you're there resenting. Yeah, that's and what I learned suffering? about it. Yes. We've all been foolish at times. And instead of treating ourselves with lack of forgiveness for ourselves or for others, we actually can see it, hold it with compassion, forgiveness, and say, now, this is the third wish, is that you could live with joy and well-being. Mm. And that this is your birthright. The Buddhist teachings begin with this kind of exhortation, do not forget your original wholeness, your original goodness and beauty, and turn yourself toward what is good. Turn your heart towards what is good by cultivating forgiveness, and compassion and mindful presence. See the good in one another. Nelson Mandela said, it never hurts to see the good in someone. They often act the better because of it. Mm. If you're a school teacher and you see the beauty in those kids, they love you as a teacher and it gets reflected and they feel, I'm gonna do my best because yes. this man or this teacher sees me and gets me. And so you can choose, you can actually turn toward your innate goodness. Isn't that what everybody wants? I mean, in all of my talks and understandings over the years doing thousands and thousands of shows, I came away with the, the thread that runs through all of our human experiences that we all want to be validated. We all want to be seen. We all want to know that we matter. And the most you can ever do for somebody is to show up and allow them to know that they have been seen and heard by you. Mm, mm, it's music to my ears. Or when somebody says, I'd like a little attention, it's not a little thing they're asking. They're actually asking that, that attention. I like to think of it as loving awareness, that when you give someone attention, it's somehow some marrying of your presence and also in that presence that there's love, that you really see the beauty that's behind those eyes of that person. Elizabeth Lesser. Spirituality is an instinct. You know we have our instincts to eat and sleep and work and survive and thrive that way. But we also have a spiritual instinct. It's really inside every person. That's why religions were even formed, to respond to that instinct, to know that life has meaning, to know that we are connected to everything, and to have that childlike sense of wonder that we were put here to enjoy the gift of life. Yeah, so spirituality is that yearning for something more, that yearning desire that is seeking something higher than your mind and your body. Yes. Rob Bell. To me, the only kind of faith worth having is faith that can celebrate the good and the true and the beautiful and the wherever you find it. It's a big, buoyant, sort of expansive embrace of everywhere you find well, it. Well, you also, you know, my definition of God is the all. The yeah. all in the all, through the all, above That's the all, one, the in way. the all. <laughs> and then you basically say the same thing. I understand God to be, the. these are your words, the energy, the glue, the force, the life, the power, the source of all we know to be, the depth, the fullness, vitality of life, from the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows, and everything in between. <laughs> I think that's the all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. First and foremost, to all the really smart, studied people who've been to the TED conference and have iPhones, it's not crazy 
to acknowledge that there's a God. It may actually be the most rational move, is simply to say, I come to the end of my own logical powers and acknowledge there's too much that's beyond what we can sort through using these little brains that we have. Right. And for 300 years, the water we've been swimming in, that we've been handed by the Enlightenment tradition, which has brought us medicines and hospitals and all sorts of wonderful things, has also brought us, ultimately, if you cannot explain it, I don't know. And yet we're fascinated as humans. We're wired for the mysterious. We love it. We're drawn to it. You can't stifle it. So you're saying just open to that. It's okay to be open. Okay. It's okay to be open. For many people in the modern world, God is somewhere else, generally with a long beard on a cloud. <laughs> right? Yeah. And he was quite grumpy no. until Jesus came. Absolutely. And <laughs> when I was a kid, my version yep. was he was on a cloud, yep. long beard, white robes, sure. and had a big black book. And it was like when he opened it, it was like <laughs> the pages even had like sort of. <laughs> yes. And so this God is somewhere else. And then from time to time, like people say, I think God showed up. Yeah. By the way, I don't think God shows up. I think we do. Oh, I do too. <laughs> so what's fascinating is the ancient Hebrews had this word ruah, which they spoke of the life force that surges through all things. Mm -hmm. So it's the word in the very beginning of Genesis 1, like this, the spirit hovering. But for many people in our world, spirit is that which is less real. You know what I mean? Oh, it's spiritual, which means there's this other realm. Then there's, and then there's, yeah. <laughs> We've all experienced that. I simply want to give the name God to that. So the person who says, oh, I, I don't know if I believe in God, but do you, like, were you there in the hospital when your kid was born? Well, what, what else was that? What I'm trying to do in the book is simply move a person's conception from somewhere out here, optional, to the very thing we're all plugged into. That we're experiencing the presence of in all every single the time, day, all the all time. All around us. Yeah. And so then as a human, the art of it then is being awake and open and aware and sensitive to this presence yeah. right here and now in suffering and joy, in meeting a stranger and however it works. Okay. So that's what I mean by with. With us. Yes. Llewellyn Vaughn Lee. People come into this world and they forget their divine nature. They become caught in the Chinese say the 10,000 things, mm. all the things of life, the 10,000 yes. things. Yeah, I would say the world is caught in the that world, right now. Yeah, the world is caught, very sadly. And then there comes this moment in their life when something wakes them up. It's a very magical moment. I tell you a story, once I was traveling to New York on an aeroplane and I went to use the bathroom and there was a line for the bathroom and I saw that the stewardess at the back was reading a book about dreams that I happened to know. And I said, oh, it's an interesting book. I'm surprised you're interested in this book. Anyway, she started to tell me her story and she said she'd just been to a workshop. And then she said, I suddenly discovered there's more to life than getting stuff. And I could see this light in her eyes. She'd woken up. Mm -hmm. She'd realized there was something within her. It wasn't just about material accumulation. Mm -hmm. And it was like this magical moment when something awakens within the heart of the human being. Unfortunately for so many people, I've interviewed lots of people for whom that happened when tragedy struck. Right. And a lot of people use that experience mm -hmm. for their own awakening. But you believe that you don't have to go through a terrible time. It is a gift. It's always a gift by God, that moment. However it comes, the Sufis talk about the homesickness of the soul, mm -hmm. the journey home. And something calls to you, there is this moment. And it's really whether you take respect and value that moment and then begin 
the journey, the journey to, to, God. to God. The journey to God. And what does the journey in God feel like? It can be an experience of love. You get drawn into this love, you begin to lose yourself in love, and suddenly there is no longer you, there is just love. Sister Joan Chittister. We're talking about the God who is life, who is all of energy, who is the seed of everything that ever existed, who burst into the universe with everything that we'll ever see and ever be able to be. Now, if that God is the, the ultimate and primary seed of all life, that's my seed, as well as his seed over there. And you cannot have a consciousness of God unless you have a consciousness then of life in all of its forms. Right. Thomas More. I think religion is something that is quite natural. It's something that we do as human beings. So we face mysteries. Illness is a great mystery. Death is a mystery. Marriage is a mystery. All these things. And I don't think we can deal with all this rationally. Yes. And yes. so we need something. On the other hand, we've made a turn somewhere, I think largely because of changes in our culture. And the old forms don't work as well anymore. They work for some people, but even then, you have to reinvigorate them. So creating a religion of your own. I know a lot of people will be critical of this, and you even mention it in the book, that people call this this sort of like smorgasbord religion. You're taking a little bit from this, right. a little bit from that, and a little bit from that. And where is the order? Where is the discipline? Where is the one true oh my God. God in all of that? I think, though, when we, we speak of creating religion one's own, people think that that also means creating a God of one's own. Well, I put it this way. When I was studying theology and religion all those years as a mm -hmm. monk, yeah. I learned that God is unknowable and infinite. Unknowable and infinite. That's what I was always taught. And unknowable. Infinite. And infinite. And infinite. Now, what have you got there? Oh, I love that. So if you make God then, I say, into a, sort of a human version, a human being kind of God, or you, you anthropomorphize him, they say, or make him yes. human, like a human being. You've diminished the, the whole, you don't have a God any, anymore. You have a superhuman being, but you don't have a God. You don't have a real sense of the divine. But what about the passages in the Bible and other you know, religious books that say we are created in his image? Well, we are. I think that we have within us, if we go deep enough inside ourselves, we touch on the infinite. We really do. I think you can't emphasize that enough because I think most people never go deep enough to understand what that means that we are in his image because people are thinking that it's the physical thing and it is not. No. Here's a big issue, I think. Okay. The world we live in around us yeah. tends to see everything mechanistically or physically all yeah. alone. Yeah. They don't understand that there is some invisible dimension to our experience, to everything, even to nature. Yeah. And so we, we tend to reduce things too much. We reduce things to what we can see. What you can see and touch. And define things, even our God, by what we can exactly. see. Elizabeth Gilbert. Sartre said exits are everywhere, but I feel like entrances are everywhere. And I think that the world would be an even more cruel place than it already is if the only people 
who were allowed to go on spiritual journeys were people who could afford a plane ticket to India, you know? Yeah. Um, because we all know that people find access to God through those thin places in the universe and the thin places in their lives where you come very close to the divine in all sorts of situations. In prison, in their house in the middle of the night, in the middle of a bad marriage, in the middle of a traffic jam. It's always there. There's an entrance that you can slide through. But for it, I really do feel like the one non-negotiable thing that you need is to be able to find a tiny little corner of your life, of your day, of stillness, where you can begin to ask yourself those burning, essential questions of your life. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What am I here for? And for that, you need to find a sacred moment of silence to begin to look for that journey. And that's available to everybody. Michael Singer. It's something we listen to on a regular basis. The problem is we think it's us. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you look at a vase and it says, God, look, that's a very interesting shape, but I don't really like the color that much. It reminds me of my grandmother's vase. And all of a sudden we have somebody narrating and talking inside our head. Mm -hmm. That's not you, yeah. right? Those are all your thoughts about the vase. And more and more as I watch that, I realize it never shuts up that it talks about everything, it judges everything, it thinks about everything. <laughs> right, right. In the early 70s, Michael Singer was a young economic student studying for his doctorate. Sitting with a friend one day, he noticed a lull in their conversation, and in that quiet little lull moment, he became aware of the thoughts that were running through his head. He realized that that voice, that incessant voice that expresses worries and doubts and anxieties was not really him, but he was the observer of the voice. That inner dialogue was an expression of his psyche, not his soul. And that was the beginning of his awakening. And that was my path. That was the beginning of my path. So what happened actually in that moment now that you can describe? I know Eckhart Tolle has said that that is the awareness, yes. the voice the awareness of the thoughts or the awareness of the voice inside your head is where consciousness resides. And that is who we really are. Yes. So that's what you came to. Yes. That was your open door yes. to the path to understanding yourself as a spiritual being inside a physical human body. With a mind. And isn't this the most important thing ever? Period. To get the period. 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 Bar none. None. Is the this most is the road to thing. the spiritual path. Yes is to understand that you are a spiritual yeah. being. And the way to understand that you are a spiritual being is to know that you are not all that's of those thoughts. Key. That's the key, right? Because so far key. we can't say what you are because that's a thought, right? Right, that's a thought. Just, you know you're not the thought. Why? Because I'm watching it. Yes. You are there watching these thoughts. And sometimes people say to me, but which of those are me? None of them are you. You are the one who's watching. Okay, so I got this. I've shared this, so if you all have heard it before. When I was in India, I got it really clearly. And uh, there was a yogi who was leading me in meditation. And it was just the two of us. And he said, you know, close your eyes. And now I'm going to name different objects. And one was a red triangle. And one was the moon. And one was a white picket fence or whatever, all these objects. And he said, you know, hold on to the object in your mind. And then when I name the next object, let it go. What I realized in that conscious moment was that that's what's happening all the time. Red triangles and picket fences and chairs and thoughts about everything are coming in and you can let those thoughts, I'm not good enough, I lost my job, I can't believe he left me, I can't believe my kids did it. They're thoughts. They're thoughts. They are not you. They're not you. So how do we begin to separate ourselves from the thoughts? That's right. the question. Right, and that's, that's the key. What I love that you said is, that really is the beginning of spirituality. That because is. Because to separate 
what you're not from what you are. If you don't do that, right. you're going to stay lost. The self is spiritual. The one who's watching is the gateway to spirituality. So if you continue to just get involved in the thoughts of the mind, this true spiritual path doesn't take place. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.